welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Um, I want to start by sharing a story that Jesus told. The Bible refers to them as parables. A parable is simply a story. Whenever Jesus told a story, it was to help his hearers think differently. It wasn't to put them to sleep. It wasn't like a bedtime story. It wasn't once upon a time in a land far, far away. It wasn't that kind of story. These stories that Jesus told was to mess with the paradigms, to mess with the thinking of the people in his time. And indeed, they should mess with our thinking. And so I want to read one of the parables that Jesus told, and it's found in Matthew 25. It's commonly known as the parable of the talents. And in Matthew 25, verse 14, it says, Again, it will be, speaking of the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one who had two talents, he gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five talents bought the other five, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. Master replied, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents came also. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good, faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not gathered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. I love this parable. I've preached out of it a number of times. And every time I preach out of it, there's always something new to gain from it. And there's many things that uh, I want to look at tonight. And I want to finish off with five questions that we need to ask ourselves. But the first thing I want to just very quickly highlight here is that God is not fair. People often, you know, uh, complain that God, no, it's just not fair. Here's the deal. You don't want God to be fair. You don't want to get what we deserve. The fact that God is not fair is a very, very good thing. If we got what we deserve, we would all be dead. God is not fair. He does not give us what He deserves. But in gracing us with life and gracing us with a second chance to live this life, He apportions gifts according to how He sees fit. He's the boss. That's what makes Him God. That's what makes Him the boss and the Lord of our lives. We are, in a, uh, we are involved in Christianity, not communism. It's not like we all get the same here. It's not fair. God just gives to some 
and He gives to others even more. And then He gives to others even more again. It's just the way God does things. You know, I remember being at a conference last year and there was a young pastor from overseas up on stage and he was being interviewed by the host of the conference. And uh, he's a young, good-looking man with a good-looking family and he's got this incredibly large church in a few short years. As a man who's been leading a church for many years, it's quite sickening how successful he's been in such a short time. And the host of the conference was sitting there interviewing him and he said, tell me if this is true or not. He said, but I heard that you wrote your then-girlfriend a song to serenade her before you asked her to marry you. And he said, yes, that's true. And uh, the host of the conference says, well, do you mind singing the song? And I'll be honest with you, the first thought in my head was, yes, let the guy sing in front of everyone and bomb badly. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) And the guy who was being interviewed said, look, that's not really fair. This conference is known for its music and, and for you to ask me to sing my song in front of all these people unaccompanied, that's just really unfair. I'm like, yeah. But he said, but I'll give it a go. And then he just opened his mouth and started singing. It was like angels entered the room. I'm like, man, he can even sing. Is there nothing this man can't do? God, it's not fair. And my own words came back to me. God's not fair. He he will just seemingly sprinkle blessing on us and others will just go, here, boof. Have you noticed that? Some people in this world, they just seem to get so much. Seem to get everything. And the sign of maturity is that we can celebrate somebody's everything. We're going to get to the place, I don't know why. You know, I love singing. You think God would give me a good singing voice because I love to sing. And I feel like, you know, God, if I could sing better, I could sing e- e- even more for you. And then God in His wisdom says, really? If you could sing better, you'd sing for me. Really? I think you'd end up in Las Vegas somewhere singing, <laughs> doing Elvis impersonations. So I think God knows best. And so if you're looking at somebody, and you've got to catch this, the reason I want this broken It's because this is one of the reasons why we don't enter into the promises of God. This is why we sit back and waste our lives because we're forever comparing ourselves and we've got to stop the curse of comparison. Someone might be more blessed than you. In actual fact, there are people that are more blessed than you. But there's others that don't have as much as you. In actual fact, if you live in Australia and by virtue of you being here tonight, you probably do then you are better off than 95% of all the people in the world. You are richer than 95% of people in the world. You've been blessed. Which brings me to my next point, that although God is not fair, He is generous. Because in this story, He talks about giving of five talents. That would represent something like five million dollars. And to another man, He gave two million dollars. Another man, He gave one million dollars. Now, granted, $1 million is not as much as $5 million. I'm not great at maths, but I know enough about maths to know that five is a bigger number than one. And so, yes, $1 is less than $5 But hey, who's going to sneeze at $1 million? If I gave you $1 million each, you'd say, man, he's a generous man. 
Let's not forget that. Even the least got a million bucks. Even the least got something. So God may not distribute evenly, which in our understanding may mean He's not fair, but He is generous. He's given us whatever we need to do whatever He has called us to do. He gave out according to one's ability. And so we must get out of this curse of comparison, saying, because I don't have as much as this person, I can't do anything. I mean, honestly, after I saw this man who's got this large church and he can sing and he's good looking and, and all those things, you know, I think, you know what? God's given me something. And we've got to put into practice what God has given us to do. Because here's the point. We've all been given something. We've all been given at least one gift. You may not have as much as someone else, but you do have something. And the challenge through this series is that we don't waste what God has given us. And so if we've only, inverted commas, only been given one gift, let's not waste the one gift that we've been given. That's the point of Jesus' parable here. That these men all received money, but only two of them went to work. Only two of them did something with what they had. It's amazing. The man with two talents didn't say, he's got five. He didn't care. He just put his two to work. In other words, he wasn't caught up in the curse of comparison. He just realised I've been blessed. I've been given two million bucks and I'm going to put that to work. And the response of the master was this, well done, good, faithful servant. And then there was this other guy who did nothing with his money. Now, what I need you to understand, when it comes to wasting our life, very few people I know set out to waste their life. If I ask anybody, what do you want to do with your life? I have never heard, I just want to waste it. They might say, I don't know, I'm not sure, but there's nobody I've come across yet that actually intentionally sets out to waste their life. Yet there are many people who end up wasting their life. And so the question begs to be asked, if we don't set out to waste our life, and yet many people do waste their life, why is that? And according to this story, we see that there are a number of reasons. One is procrastination. We kind of, we, we love tomorrow. Annie used to sing about it. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I love you tomorrow. Why? Because you're always a day away. We're going to start our diet tomorrow. We're going to join the gym tomorrow. We're going to get serious about our relationship with God tomorrow. There could be some who are far from God. You may not be a Christian. You think, you know what? When I'm old and sometime I'm going I'm to party hard now and then I'm going to give my life to Jesus just before I die, which sounds good on paper. Here's the thing. You don't know when you're going to die. That, that's the problem with that theory. And so we, 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 we tend to put things off all the time. We procrastinate on things that matter most. Another reason why we tend not to embrace the things God has for us is because we misunderstand God's heart. The man in this story said, um, I, I knew you were a hard man. It's amazing when you start loving people. I mean, this, this, he, he came to the conclusion that he was a hard man after he'd given him a million dollars. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I know I've had many strong, 
tough love conversations. But that's a sign of love. And some people misunderstand that. And so they say, oh, Tony's a hard man. He doesn't love me. When really the issue is we, we don't understand fully what love looks like. And this, this person in the story didn't understand the master. He misunderstood his intentions. The other two were just grateful. So the issue wasn't so much with the master, it was with the individuals. Because two of the three were more than happy just to receive and get on with it. And so the, some of the reasons we waste our life is procrastination or we just don't understand God. We don't understand His intentions. We don't understand the intentions of the church. I mean, we just had an opportunity to give a percentage of our money to the church. And, and that can be misunderstood. But what better organisation than to give our money than the church? It's an incredible opportunity to help people in the community. What we are doing in the community is growing more and more and more. And even members of parliament now are recognising the good work that we are doing through the generosity of this church. But yet there are still some who say, oh, the church, they just want your money. No, we don't just want your money. We want to be able to help people. That, that's the purpose. That's the heart. And so it's a misunderstanding that causes us to procrastinate, which causes us to ultimately waste our life. Another big reason we waste our life is just out of fear. We're just afraid. Afraid of making the wrong decision. Afraid of making mistakes. But you can't do this life without making mistakes. And so we see this, this one person in this story was bound by procrastination, misunderstanding and fear and as a result, he wasted his opportunity. And when the master came back, he wasn't happy. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. And so in order for us to not be that wicked, lazy servant, in order for us not to be that one guy in the story, I want to look at five questions that we need to ask ourselves and hopefully will help us find our gift and ultimately what God has called us to do and our purpose for life. These are five questions that I've asked myself over the years and have led me to do what I'm doing today. I didn't always have the clarity about my life that I have today back in the day when we used to sing Ancient of Days. But through asking these questions, they are incredibly helpful in setting us on a course. And so who wants to know what those questions are? Finding our gift depends on the following things. Number one, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing? Unfortunately, there's a notion within Christianity that God wants you to do what you hate doing. There is. I come across it all the time. People are afraid to say yes to God because they might, he might get them to do something they hate. And so I'd love to serve, but if I say yes, I'll probably end up with kids and I hate kids. I mean, I love our kids ministry and I love the Kid Go program that Mick and Katie run. They do an incredible job. But honestly, when I come in and see all the kids, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Boo! And I'm gone. I mean, it's great. And the greatest thing is I'm not in there. That's awesome. But there are others who just love it. 
They absolutely love doing it and they come alive. What do you love doing? John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. That's what he wants to do for you. He wants to kill, steal and destroy your purpose and your destiny. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full, that you might enjoy life. God has made you on purpose for a purpose. And when you come into contact with your purpose, you're going to enjoy doing what you do. I mean, when I was at school, I was shy. I was afraid to stand up in front of anybody, let alone speak. And here I am today doing what I absolutely love doing. I love, love, love doing what I'm doing today. I get a great thrill out of speaking publicly. I get a great thrill out of leading a church. Here's a weird thing for you. I'm at my best when things are at their worst. When there's problems in the church, I'm your man. I come alive. I I have a grace to be able to know how to handle circumstances and handle situations when many people fall apart. Over the last 19 years, I've been in some very sticky situations and I've always felt incredible grace on my life. And although I'm not uh, sick and twisted, and I'm not going to say, oh, I enjoy that. I enjoy the fact that God has graced me to handle those situations and to have a peace in my life and have clarity in my life to be able to walk through those times. It's how God has wired and graced my life. And after 19 years, I'm not just doing it after 19 years. I'm not still leading a church after 19 years. Uh, we're just, just misery. No, I'm actually enjoying it. I feel like we're just starting. I get really excited about the things God has in store for us. So watch this space. It's awesome. And that was my desire for you, that you find what you enjoy doing. In order for you to find what you enjoy doing, you may have to think back to your childhood. Because as we grow up, sometimes we forget the things we used to enjoy doing. And that could be because of the pressures of our reality as we've grown up. It could be because others have pressured us to do things. I mean, for me, if you are in a university course that has no bearing on your purpose, why finish it? I mean, seriously, there are people who are studying this and studying that, and it's got no bearing on what God has called them to do. And so I ask myself, what is it that you enjoy doing? Think back to your childhood. Maybe some of you there like to do puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles and puzzles that involve words and numbers. Can you believe that there are people out there that actually enjoyed that? Sudoku and all those things. I mean, like, are you kidding me? But you know what? That that love for that type of thing could mean that you are good with numbers, that you are good with maths, and it could put you on a course of accounting. Honestly, you've got to go back to your childhood. Maybe you liked colouring in and drawing, and so maybe you will become a creative artist or hairdresser or sign writer, as I did, ultimately. It's, it's what I love doing. I love drawing. I, I, you know, even, even now in elders' meetings, you know, we were talking away and I always come away with these little drawings. It's like, yeah, I'm listening, says, but have you seen what I just drew today? <laughs> I mean, that's going to be one of the greatest doodles of all kind. Now, what were you saying? Sorry. That's awesome. What were you saying? Sorry. I mean, what do you, what do you love doing? And if you can't remember, think back to your childhood. What did you enjoy doing as a child. For the parents in this room, 
I want to say, let your kids try a variety of things when they're young. This has been really helpful for us. Things that stimulate them spiritually, mentally, culturally, and physically. And so all of our kids have been involved in things of a cultural nature. So there, there could be something, uh, it could be music or, or singing or dancing. It could be of a physical nature, uh, sport. And so we get them playing different sports. Spirituals, we get them reading their Bible. So just give them a taste. It, it doesn't, don't, don't put your dreams onto them. There's nothing worse than seeing someone who can't play a sport and their dad's trying to make them into this little sports person. It, it's, it's just not good. It's just not pretty. But I would say encourage them to just, just play the field, try a few different things, and, and, and you'll, you'll find their natural bent. And that is the role of a parent, to find a child's natural bend. The Bible says in Proverbs, train a child in the way that they should go, and when they are older, they will not part from it. It's not train a child in the way you think they should go. It's train a child in the way that they should go. In other words, the God shape that they have. And that, that portion of Scripture is referring to a, an archer looking at a branch with this, the exact right bend in, 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 a bow, uh, in, a, in a branch that he could make a great bow out of. And... When there's a natural bend, go with it. Your job as a parent is not to straighten your kid out. We've got too many parents that are trying to straighten their kids out instead of just using the natural bent that they have in life. And so what do you enjoy doing? Secondly, what are you good at? What are you good at? See, it's not enough just to like something. If you like something but aren't good at it, you come up with Australian Idol. <laughs> Many of the contestants that apply for Australian Idol are people that love singing, love music, but they didn't have someone close enough to them to say, you suck. And so because they had people around them encouraging them, saying, you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're the best singer ever. Well, what they really mean is, I love you, you're my child. It doesn't actually mean you can sing at all. When your mum says, oh, you're a great singer and you can't sing, all she's saying is, I just love you. It, don't, don't, don't believe your mother when it comes to singing. If you're thinking about going on X Factor, Australia's Got Talent, Australian Idol, or any of those things, The Voice, my word of advice to you is, no matter, regardless of what your mum and dad say about you, just ask somebody in the know. Yeah. Go to Elise, go to Jess, go to Benno, go to somebody in our music and say, can, can, I'm going to sing and I want to know your perspective. Because I love to sing, I do, I enjoy it. I mean, in our home, we're always singing. We just sing. We sing. We sing out loud. Here's the thing. I'm just not good at it. Don't think for a moment. Every time I watch The Voice, I think, oh, I wish that was me. 
God, it's so unfair. But you've got to come to a realisation because the longer we keep going with stuff that we're not good at, we're wasting our life. Let's just say I persisted with music. And let's just say by, by sheer determination and effort and longevity, I improved. I will probably still suck. But finding what God has called me to do at an early age and working on that means that I can find purpose and meaning and have an effect for the good as opposed to just wasting my time with something that's got very little to do with what God has called me to do. So what are you good at? Some might say, I'm not good at anything. I often hear that. It's okay for that man in the story that had one gift. I don't have any gift, and that's simply not true. To say you do nothing well, to say that you are not good at anything, to say that you don't have any gifts is to slap God in the face. Because the Bible says clearly that God has given each and every one of us, that's the purpose of this parable, that he gives all of us something. Granted, it may not be as much as somebody else, but it's something. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. In other words, all of us have been given at least one gift by God to use for him. And so if you're into systems and you're into accounting, and you're into counting, we can use you. It doesn't mean you'll be up here singing. But there is a place for you if you love systems and structures, if you love accounting, if you love numbers. Maybe you have a gift of mercy, that if somebody is crying, you just find yourself being drawn to that person and crying with them. That's a gift of mercy. Those of us who don't have it, call you a crybaby. <laughs> but there are people with these gifts and we need these gifts in operation. You don't want the guy who's going, there, 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 cry baby. No, you want someone with the gift of mercy saying, hey, let's work through this together. Seriously, this is your leader speaking. I'm sorry. It's just, we're wired differently. And we need you. This church needs you. This community needs you and your gift. What it is that God has given you, we need. You may have a creative gift. We need you. We need your creative gift. What we don't want is the ones with mercy up here trying to sing. It'd be like... <laughs> I'm convinced there are people with mercy, a gift of mercy, and then they think... I'm, because I love people so much, I'm going to become a pastor. And you have to listen to them preach and they cry all the time. Seriously, I think it's more of a gift of mercy than a gift of preaching. And, and, and if that's the case, I would say get off the stage and go cry with that person in the corner and let me do the talking, okay? Don't, don't look at me like, don't judge me. You're, you're, just, you're just shocked that I'm that honest because you've all thought it. No, no, seriously, when you're up here, when you're listening to a preacher, you don't want him crying all the time. You don't. You don't. You want someone to preach. 
Paul's word to Timothy, were, uh, Timothy was a young man. Paul was an older man in the faith. And he said to Timothy, preach the word. He didn't say cry the word. He said, preach it. I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone else's gift. I'm just trying to say we're different. And it gets messy and it gets horrible when we resent the gift God has given us and we want to be something else. Or we want to do something else. What I do is a gift from God. I, if, it, if it was just a natural thing, I'd never be doing this because I was shy. I didn't like public speaking. This is a gift and I don't want to waste it. And so whatever your gift is, we want to use it so we don't end up wasting our life. Makes sense. So what do you enjoy? What are you good at? Number three, what bothers you? Now, I'm not talking about bad drivers. Because <laughs> bad drivers bother me. Port Adelaide supporters bother me. The way, put, the, way the Adelaide Crows are playing right now bothers me. Lots of things bother me, but I'm not talking about that. Kerry, I'm not talking about that. Sit down, feral. Just, you just... It's like, it's like I said one thing. Port Adelaide supporters bother me. Kerry stands up. I'm like, and, you wait, and you wonder why it bothers me. That's what bothers me. They are feral. It bothers me that I keep interrupting my own preaching. That bothers me. It bothers me I missed out on the Guy Sebastian concert. No one invited me, but they invited my son. It's okay, but it bothers me. But that's not the kind of bothering I'm talking about. We all have, we're all bothered by certain things. Like when I have to drop the kids off at school with all those Christian mum, women drivers. just bothers me. But I'm not talking about that. That's for another day. I'm talking about what breaks your heart. What breaks your heart? Who remembers the cartoon Popeye? Popeye, Popeye the sailor man. He got his supernatural strength from spinach. Remember that? And generally, every cartoon that he was involved in, he would get beaten up and he would always say this, I've had all I can stand and I can stand no more. Remember that? And with that, he would pop some spinach into his pipe. <laughs> Green stuff going into a pipe. I think there's a subliminal message going. <laughs> his spinach goes into his pipe, he'd suck in it, and it gets strong. I'm, I'm <laughs> never thought this one through.
I've had all I can stand and I can stand no more. Doot, doot. We all need one of those moments. If you're going to not waste your life, you've got to have one of those, I've had enough of this. You've got to have one of these pivotal moments in your life where you come to this place in your life where you say, someone's got to do something about that. And that someone's me. It is not your responsibility to put your burden onto somebody else or the church. It's not your responsibility to say, that really bothers me, the church should do something about that. No, if it bothers you, you should do something about that. What bothers you? What bothers you? Nehemiah was a man who saw the ruins of Jerusalem. You can read it for yourself in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a bit of a hero of mine because he went and surveyed the damage that was done to the wall in Jerusalem. And it said he sat, he wept, he fasted and he prayed. And he came to this conclusion, someone's got to do something about this. And that someone is me. And in 52 days, he rebuilt the wall. Mother Teresa was a woman who visited India and saw the incredible poverty and was heartbroken. And she said, someone's got to do something about this and that someone is me. When she was on the streets of Calcutta one day, there were a bunch of tourists that walked by and they were watching her meet the needs and tend to the needs of all those with leprosy. It's much of the work that she was known for. And one of the tourists looking on to Mother Teresa and what she was doing said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And Mother Teresa answered back, and nor would I. Because when you find your calling, it's not about how much money you get. One of the things that saddens me about our young generation today, oh, they'll serve God if the money's okay. If they get a building, if they get a band, if they get enough people, yeah, they'll plant a church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that you cannot escape, that you cannot get out of. You can't go to the right, you can't go to the left. You are in this for the long haul. I've had plenty of opportunities to run away. I just find myself stuck. I can't go anywhere else and I can't do anything else. Somebody's got to do something about this community and that someone is me and there's someone can be you. This will give you the reason for getting out of bed. We have an alarm, but the alarm is not what should wake you up. You should be awake and ready to attack the day. When you come into your purpose, you will. There are too many people that are stumbling out of bed and, and, and at the last minute just to go to work and they don't know why they're at work to come home to watch television because they're bored. I've been many things in my life, but I've never been bored. I've been frustrated. I've been angry. I've been mad. I've been sad. I've been glad. I've been every emotion you can imagine. But one thing I've never been is bored. I don't get bored. I don't get it. 
If you want to not relate to me, just say, hey, I'm bored. I don't get bored. I don't get it. There's too much to do. So when you say to me, I'm bored, I just, I don't compute. I don't get that. And the reason I can talk like this is because these questions have been answered in my life. When we started our church, I was sick to death of the low-level Christianity I thought, man, I thought it was meant to be victorious. And I came up with this name, Victory Christian Center. I wanted a center of victorious Christians. I wanted a church that I could invite my unsaved friends to, those that were far from God. And we've been building that ever since. Bothers me. What bothers you? What do you have a burden for? I love the fact that Mick and Katie, who are on holiday right now, but they lead our children's ministry and they have a burden for children's ministry and they have this incredible um, legacy to show for it. Kid go. Going to break a thousand kids coming in this, this year. Because certain things bother them. What bothers you? What breaks your heart that breaks the heart of God? If you don't know what breaks your heart, I think the best place for you and I to start is with a prayer like this. Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. Pray that every day until you get a burden for something. I love the fact that we've got some guys in this church who are taking the soup kitchen down to the Salisbury area because they have a burden for it. I'm not going to put that on everyone. I'm not saying you should all help out. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we have a ministry now that's reaching a certain sector of our community because someone has a burden for it. Because something bothered them enough to do something about it. And they didn't put the burden back on the church. They laid the burden squarely on themselves and they're doing something about it. And it's been quite frustrating trying to get council approval. But we have council approval and we have started or are starting very soon. What do you have a burden for? What breaks your heart? Number four, what opportunities are in front of you right now? In other words, you've got to do your now well. If you're not faithful with your now, you won't be faithful with your next. We must learn to offer God our hands and not our plans. This is what we do. This is my life, all planned out. And we hand our plans to God. Don't, don't offer God your plans. The Bible says many are the plans of man. But they lead to death and destruction. Offer God your hands, not your plans. So you find your gift by getting your hands dirty. There's only one real way to find your gift, and that's to get your hands dirty. I would encourage every one of you who is not exactly sure where you should be serving and what you should be doing to volunteer somewhere. If you're serious about what I'm talking about, if you're serious about not wasting your life, you will volunteer in this church somewhere, and you will do something. I mentioned about kids before, but what you need to know is I did kids ministry for four years. In our previous church, 
I realized that there was a need, and because I didn't know what my call was, I just filled a need. And I didn't do it begrudgingly, I did it to the best of my ability. And when the church needed a leper to demonstrate a story in the Bible, I was your man. And I had to dress up as a leper, and I had bits falling off me, and it was just, it was, and the kids are, oh. See, it's about doing the best you can. Don't, don't just do it half hearted, get into it. I remember one time I was doing this church production and uh, it was the children's ministry that did the church production at the end of year, every year. And, and they needed uh, one of the teachers to dress up as a little boy in a school uniform with the cap and the tie and the shorts and the jumper. And no one would do it because they're all too cool for school. And I thought, I'll do it. And I knew I'd be standing up in front of all my mates and I knew I'd be getting a few, all the kind of stuff that goes with it. But I thought, you know what, when I'm a schoolboy, I'm going to be the best schoolboy there is. And I got to perform in front of the, the uh, church that day as a schoolboy. And I was just doing all the schoolboy things. And that's where all this started. Yeah. Did I feel a call to kids' ministry? No. There was a need. And so I offered God my hands, not my plans. I, I didn't say, God, if that's not part of my plan, I don't do kids' ministry. It's not where it starts. It starts with getting your hands dirty. And then there was this overlap period where I did kids and youth. I did youth for seven years. And I had this van because it was part of my business. And, uh, you know, I was a fun guy to be with. And we had all these kids in the car. And, and we'd always break the how many you can fit in a, in a van kind of record each week. And I'd be the guy getting home last because I'd be taking all these kids home here, there and everywhere. And, and, and it was just part of it. It's not what I do now. It wasn't exactly my plan. But there was a need. And so my car needed to get cleaned all the time because youth kids are youth kids and that thing doesn't seem to change. They're just animals and, and uh, just rolling around in the back and there's junk everywhere and there's wrappers everywhere and there's chocolate everywhere and there's lollies everywhere and, and uh, all those sorts of things and you kind of be cleaning out your car and, you know, just thanks for nothing, kids. Yep, see you next week, you know. That's where it started. Yeah. Just getting involved. Yeah. Never forget the day Paul Benithan asked me to lead worship. I just said I can't sing. You know, you've you got to understand this. I knew I couldn't sing even back then. And, and I, I knew I couldn't play an instrument. That was a given. And, and one day our pastor said, hey, Tony, I want you to lead worship. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't happy about it. I thought he's, he's asking me to do something to humble me. I thought he's, he's, he's only asked me just to humble me. That's what I thought. And even thinking like that, I still said Yes. And I'll never forget, I led worship that night, thinking, I'll show him. They want to embarrass me. I'm going to give this the best crack I've got. And so I kind of picked some songs that were like pub songs, real easy to sing. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I thought I can pull that one off. <laughs> and all those old songs, and, you know, I didn't do Ron Cannoli. I couldn't do Ron, I couldn't do a big black guy. I couldn't do that. So I left that alone. Picked all these songs and had a great time. And, and I thought, wow. That was... Interesting. Didn't really think much more of it. I didn't think, wow, I am a worship leader. To be honest, I'm, I, I, it was kind of one of those things I thought I'd only do once, and that was it. And then he asked me again. And because I'm offering God my hands, not my plans, I, I found myself saying yes again. Like, oh, why am I doing this? Why am I subjecting myself to this? 
but I learned some things about myself in doing the now well. Because it wasn't so much about worship leading, it was about leading. God was teaching me that I'm a leader. I didn't know that. And by just putting myself in these positions, this leadership gift in my life became more and more apparent. I never learned that because of the preacher coming through or the prophetic guy coming through and laying hands on me. That's not where I learned this leadership gift. It was just getting my hands dirty and learning on the job. It's not pretty. Think about Fiona Mitchell here on the front row. Her prophetic gift is getting clearer and clearer and clearer. But for her to get this stage in her life, she's done lots of other things before. I mean, she's done pretty much everything. And a lot of those things she did really badly. (laughs) But she did it with a smile on her face. She did it faithfully. And she was willing to move aside and then move aside and be moved aside. And, and, And she's let go of some things she really enjoyed doing. She's an incredible example of the very thing that I'm talking about. She's always been able to do her now well. See, I'm a bit dubious about the people who tell me how good they are or, or what they're good at. If you're good at something, it'll show. It'll show. Look at some of our NBA basketball stars if they were here tonight, you know, and they picked up a basketball, you, you would know that they're good at basketball. They wouldn't have to tell you. These people say, oh, I'm, I'm a great leader. I said, really? Great leaders would never say that. A great leader would never come to a church like this and tell me on your first or second meeting that you're a great leader. If you're a great leader, we'll see it. If you're a great singer, we'll hear it. I mean, if you're a great singer and you're on the back row and the people around you say, man, there's someone who can sing like that. We'll find out. Which brings me to my last point. Who am I going to live for? Who am I going to live for? See, none of the above four questions matter without this point. Who are you going to live for? The story that Jesus told talked about three guys and their master. Master was mentioned over and over and over again. The guy with five talents went to his master and said, Master, I've gained five more. The guy with two talents went to his master and said, Master, I've gained two more. The guy with one talent went to his master and said, Master, because I know you're a hard man, I hid my talent. In other words, they all knew He was the master. All three men declared that he was the master. But only two lived for him. They all knew who he was, but only two lived for him. One of the things that saddens me about churchgoers, and I distinguish churchgoers to Christians, because churchgoers don't live for him. Christians live for him. Christians live for their master. If you're not living for your master, you're just at best a church attender. You might know God, you may know the story about Jesus and he died for you, you may know all about him, but you're not living for him. Christianity is about living for him. 
it's not what we declare, but what we demonstrate that matters. And our demonstration of our love for God is seen in our attitude and our actions. It is, what bothers me is seeing people waste their life. It bothers me. It bothers me. And my prayer tonight in hearing this message is that people would respond by taking these five questions seriously. And you go away and do some homework so that you could get a burden for the things that God is burdened for. That our, line would mat- our life would match up and line up with God's plans for our life and not just our plans. I love what I'm doing and I'm so grateful to God. But finding this sweet spot comes by answering these questions. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.